Mr. Chairman, as a corn root, I speak for millions of my kind who can't be here to defend themselves. Pests are stalking our stocks and undermining our roots. But we can elect to protect with a legacy of strength. Poncho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment system increases nearby microbial activity to help us grow stronger. That's smart. Ladies and gentlemen, please, this is a corn roots movement. Ask your BASF seed advisor about Poncho Votivo 2.0 seed treatment. Always read and follow label directions. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us, letting us be part of your day. I hope you had a, a good weekend. So Congress back in session. What can we expect? We'll be talking about that here this week quite a bit. Coming up on today's program, we'll check weather with Mike Palmerino from DTN. We'll talk trade matters with Dave Salmonson of the American Farm Bureau Federation. And we'll talk with the president of the American Veterinary Medical Association, Dr. John Howe. And uh, they're very happy with some of the things in the spending bill that was passed before the end of last year. We'll talk about that with Dr. Howe a little bit later on. But right now, we're going to start things off with our good friend Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, thanks for joining us. So what's this? Uh, you're going to winter in California this year? Is that it? Well, good morning, Mike. Uh, yes, we're going to work out of here. As you know, we launched an office in Sacramento, and so we're doing a lot of work to continue to build our West Coast coverage, and uh, it also gives me an opportunity to fly out of an airport that's a little closer to where I live than <laughs> in Missouri. So, uh, yeah. But back to Washington this week. Yeah, and we're going to look forward to hearing uh, some of your reports from out in California as uh, you bring us up to date on some of the things going on out there. Always interesting. But as you say, the focus uh, right now on Washington, D.C., uh, is this the week the Senate votes on USMCA? Well, certainly it's possible. Uh, as you know, the Senate Finance Committee is going to consider this uh, on Tuesday. And we've been waiting to see what the majority leader, Mitch McConnell, would do in terms of a timeline. Of course, he originally said that it wouldn't happen until after the impeachment trial. But we don't know when that's going to start because the House has not delivered those articles. So it seems possible. And uh, we did get some good news on Sunday when White House Trade Advisor Peter Navarro was on the Sunday shows and talking about how it could possibly go to the full Senate floor and then a maximum of 20 hours of debate and, and move yet this week. That might be a little ambitious, and we haven't heard confirmation from Leader McConnell, but obviously it's going to have a chance to move out of committee, and uh, the White House is eager to sign it. And any problems getting it through the Senate? Uh, should It should go through, shouldn't it? It's got a lot of bipartisan support. I think there might be one or two Republicans who oppose, but you may have seen that the key Democrat in the presidential race, Senator Elizabeth Warren, has already given her support to this. So she's kind of gone a, a different route than Bernie Sanders did when she's campaigning in Iowa and said that uh, this does have the required uh, proposals in it to protect environmental and labor and consumers. So I think that her support is going to be key, as well as uh, some of the other Democrats who represent farm states and would really like to see this uh, USMCA deal move forward. Anything else do you expect Congress to take up now that they're back in session from an ag standpoint? 
Well, um, this isn't really an agricultural specific, but um, the House is supposed to take up a bill to regulate this group of chemicals known as PFAS to uh, be considered as hazardous substances. Uh, these chemicals have been known to contaminate underground water supplies, and there's been some uh, dairy farmers, especially one in New Mexico, has been very outspoken on the issue because his milk supply has been contaminated uh, on a 4,000-cow operation because of these contaminants in the soil. So uh, when you get a, a drinking supply, water supply where you can't uh, make sure that your animals are safely watered and, and fed, you know, you've got a huge problem. So that's going to be important to agriculture and a lot of others who are concerned about water supplies. What do you think is the fate of the Ag Labor Reform Bill in the Senate? You know, it's a heavy lift, Mike. It, it just always has been. We know that President Obama, when he was elected, said that immigration reform was going to be at the very top of his list, and, and that didn't go so well. Uh, it, it's very contentious, as you know, uh, but we do see some economic pressures building on this that may get the attention of some more folks in the Senate to do perhaps a, a limited um, maybe not the same bill as the Workforce Modernization Act that came to the House, but something that could pull together enough votes. So I think there's still some hope for this, uh, but it is still heavy lift. So we'll be watching uh, that. I, it, I mean, we've got two big issues out there, impeachment, whatever happens with that. And, of course, the, uh, the election this year, that really kind of overshadows everything and, and probably keeps too much from getting done, doesn't it? Well, it certainly does. You know, years divisible by four are always difficult for a lot of progress in Congress. Um, obviously, there are other things they could do. They could work on a bipartisan basis for infrastructure. They could work on a, a lot of things um, to uh, further support some of these export deals that uh, hopefully we'll see signed uh, with China uh, on January 15th or, or the day before. Uh, there's, there's a lot of positive economic uh, things that could be done, but when you have a presidential election going on, it's just very, very difficult for folks to focus on much else uh, in Congress. We're about to head into the winter meeting season. It's going to be interesting as we uh, uh, make our rounds through those this year, Sarah, to see what the mood is of farmers as they gather from around the country at these different events. It sure is. You know, we did an open mic podcast on Sunday. It's on our website with Scott Vanderwall, who's the number two person in the American Farm Bureau, and he did a good job outlining all the different things they'd like to see accomplished at their policy session. But I think that it's been very, very difficult for a lot of farmers to think, what do we want next? When for most of them, what they really want is more MFP, the Market Facilitation Program payment, uh, that the administration has not yet decided for the, the next tranche. They'd like to see that come out. And so what do you want for farm policy? You really would like to have some certainty in the market, and maybe this China trade deal will give us some of that, but um, there's a lot of gaps in a lot of farmers' portfolios that uh, they'd like to see markets improve, and, and how they go about focusing on that in their delegate sessions will be interesting to watch. It'll be interesting to see what happens with those MFP payments this year. If there's a China deal done, do they wait to see how, you know, if it doesn't kick in right away, they go ahead and give the payments. I mean, there might be a feeling by the administration in election year, want to give them anyway. So, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. 
Yeah, I, I would uh, err on the latter side of that. I would think that they'd want to go ahead and make this next tranche of payments. But uh, the one thing that I did do over the holidays was have a really extensive interview, sat down with uh, Greg Dowd, the trade ambassador for agriculture, for about an hour, and his interviews on our site to really drill down into what to expect from not only the China deal, but some of the other advancements they made on trade this year. And as he says, it's not going to happen overnight when the deal is announced, but at least there'll be a, a scenario where we'll know what some of the key areas are, and we'll have a, a better idea of the enforcement mechanism and some of the other provisions that are in there. So I think that once we see that, that'll help buoy the spirits of a lot of folks, but it, it won't happen overnight. Yeah, maybe psychological as much as anything to benefit right at first. All right, Sarah, thanks a lot. Safe travels, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Great. Thank you, Mike. Sarah Wyatt, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. They do a great job of covering ag policy. Up next, the weather with DTM meteorologist Mike Pomerino. Stay with us on AOA. Farmers can't choose the weather, trade policy, or market prices, but they can choose the most advanced dicamba with confidence. Ingenia herbicide has the lowest volatility of all dicamba salts for more successful on-target applications, and it's straight from the dicamba experts, BASF. So make the confident choice for your soybean crop. Talk to your BASF rep or authorized retailer. Ingenia herbicide is a U.S. EPA restricted-use pesticide. Additional state restrictions may apply. Always read and follow label directions. The patented pod shatter reduction technology canola hybrids from Invigor are the perfect blend of strength and durability. Stronger pod seams and stems protect the canola seeds within while protecting you from potential yield loss. And that gives you added flexibility at harvest, even when dealing with adverse weather conditions. Shattering yield records, not pods. That's smart. Contact your local BASF seed advisor today. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, let's talk weather with ETM meteorologist Mike Palmerino. Mike, thank you for being with us. Wow, we we have some places in the Midwest that's uh, pretty mild for this time of year, but other places dealing with snow and a lot of winter weather, so we have a mixed bag. Yeah, we sure do, um... Like it, uh, you know, we're really, you know, you mentioned the mild temperatures. We're we're really losing touch with reality in terms of how cold it it should be uh, in the Midwest this time of the year versus what it is. You know, we're looking at temperatures that are consistently running, you know, double digits above normal. So, yeah, you know, enjoy it while you can. Unfortunately, as you said, with the tremendous contrast in weather between the mild temperatures and the central and eastern part of the country and in the cold temperatures in the west that is a recipe for uh storminess and we're going to see quite a bit of that this week over the uh southern and eastern portions of the u.s and that's going to include uh, uh much of the southern and eastern midwest okay let's kind of break it down take us through this next week what should we expect well again looking at the uh the northern plains and the uh, western corn belt, it, it looks pretty quiet. There will be a little bit of uh, light snow passing through at times, but uh, in general, 
they are going to see uh, a week of uh, very benign weather with uh, no major storms and uh, mild temperatures. The areas that we're looking at uh, that are really going to get pounded, it looks like, the end of the week will be uh, Missouri, the Eastern Corn Belt, and the Mississippi Delta. We're looking at uh, rain starting there on Thursday and uh, off and on rain continuing uh, right on into Saturday. Could mix with or change to snow before it ends in the Eastern Corn Belt. And I think when all is said and done, Mike, you're probably looking at like one to three inches uh, locally heavier. And, uh, you know, with all the saturated soils and no vegetation to uh, transpire this moisture into the air, you know, this this could initiate more flooding. Is this setting up in a, a pattern as, as through winter and into spring, do you think? Well, I think we're going to see some shift. We're already noticing some signs that uh, Canada is uh, going to be cooling off this week. And I think the result of that will be seeing temperatures returning uh, to a little more normal level uh, throughout the uh, heart of the uh, Midwest and, and the Great Plains next week. But in terms of the storm track, you know, we, we still have, you know, I feel uh, a bit of an El Nino signature to this pattern. There's an awful lot of uh, warm water in the uh, uh, eastern Pacific, and uh, that is what's allowing all these storms to come in. There's just a multitude of systems coming in off the Pacific, and I, I think that that's probably going to continue here for a while. So, uh, you know, I think that if you're in the southern and the eastern part of the country, uh, it could remain very stormy here right on through the end of the month. We're talking with DTM meteorologist Mike Palmerino. Mike, uh, take us around some other parts of the world. Uh, give us an update on weather in Brazil and Argentina. Well, overall, it's looking pretty good, Mike. Uh, looking at Brazil, you know, they're really into the uh, filling stage of development now in soybeans and in the heart of the Brazil bean belt in Paraná, Mato Grosso, and moisture is, is very good. There's no issues at all. Um, it looks like the only dry area right now that we're keeping an eye on is in the far south in Rio Grande do Sul, and that is an area that plants latest and and the crop is not filling down there yet they really won't be filling for another few more weeks and it looks like they'll start to get back into some showers there towards the uh, end of the week so overall uh, you know really looking very good in brazil argentina's had some dryness issues but even there things have been improving and uh, we've seen quite a bit of rain during the past week in buenos aires province which is their big one of their big uh, corn and bean producers. And, uh, you know, it looks like they will continue to be in and out of showers. So we're, uh, we're looking at some very favorable weather, I think, overall right now uh, uh, in South America during a very critical month for them, the month of January. Mm-hmm. What about Australia? Any relief for them on those terrible fires? A little, but, you know, it's, it, it's funny how these patterns are working. You know, we... They, they normally have some fire issues there uh, during their spring months. It's not, you know, they in a way they almost mimic California in, in terms of how their weather patterns work. 
but it just seems like this year, like in California, everything gets magnified, and we're looking at, 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 a, at a fire level that is, you know, almost off the charts compared to what you would normally expect. And, you know, I, you're almost seeing the same thing here with the wet patterns in the central part of the country, uh, you know, being magnified, and, uh, you know, that just continues as well. So, you know, getting back to Australia... You know, I think you're going to gradually see the situation improve there. Agriculturally, uh, it isn't a huge deal because most of their crop that they grow there, they do grow some summer crops, cotton and sorghum, but the main wheat crop doesn't get planted until the fall. And, you know, clearly the weather patterns could be uh, much improved by then. But I also think that the El Nino-ish weather that we're seeing uh, is probably reflected in some of that dryness as well, as they do correlate to uh, drought when there is uh, El Nino conditions. You know, Mike, looking at our weather here in the U.S., it's going to be interesting this year because uh, we're going to compare to a year ago, and uh, we'll be looking to see is this a pattern that has developed or you know, a continuation from last year, or was last year an outlier? Uh, that'll be a story as we go through the 2020. Absolutely. Uh, you know, at this point, Mike, you really can't say that last year was an outlier because it seems like ever since the drought uh, back in 2012, the patterns have been getting progressively wetter. And last year was the wettest of the series. And, uh, you know, looking, you cannot say at this point that that this upcoming year, 2020, couldn't be equally as wet. It, it, it certainly is showing indications that it could be another uh, very wet start to the year. So, yeah, we'll see how it goes. But that is going to be front and center uh, unquestionably here as we get into spring. As you talked about earlier with saturated soils, we have so very little margin to work with. We just uh, uh, so many areas can't take another spring like that without having the severe flooding all over again. Absolutely. You know, at this point, any any moisture you've got doesn't go into the soils. It's going into the rivers, and the rivers aren't going to be able to handle all this either. All right. So as you um, as you look at your thought, I know Bryce Anderson has been talking about a, a wet spring and possibility for some time. You've talked a lot about the uh, El Nino pattern. Uh, what are your thoughts long term, long range for this year? Have you uh, looked very far out? Well, you know, it's it's tough. Um, you know, everyone likes to speculate. Um, you know, at this point, clearly, if if someone were to say that there was going to be a drought this summer, I think you would have to be very questioning of that comment based on everything that we're looking at. Uh, you know, you, you keep on feeling that at some point this pattern is going to shift in another direction, but... There are absolutely no signs of that showing up at this point. So, you know, in, in order for any drought issues to develop this year, we're going to have to see a major shift in this pattern at some point during the growing season, and there's just no reason to uh, think uh, at this point that anything like that's going to happen. So the alternative is that we are going to be dealing with another wet uh, situation uh this growing season we used to say extremes are followed by extremes but you don't know how long the the extreme you're in is going to last exactly 
and in this case, you know, it, it's kind of uncharted territory here, uh, how long that it has been going on for. You know, we're, we're talking, uh, you know, six, seven, eight years now. Yeah, so it's a lot of concern. That'll be the big – weather was the big story in 2019 and could very well be again in 2020. Mike, thanks a lot. Good to talk with you. Appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. Take care. DTN meteorologist Mike Palmerino sitting in this week for the vacationing Bryce Anderson. All right, up next, we'll talk with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. Uh, what we might expect this week in the Senate on USMCA. What's the latest on China? Still on for that uh, January 15th signing date. And what about the possibility of getting a deal done with the European Union or maybe just the UK? We'll talk about all that next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Time now for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson from the American Ag Network. News on the trade front, somewhat positive, with a report from the South China Morning Post over the weekend confirming that a Chinese delegation is heading to the U.S. next week to sign a Phase 1 trade deal. Over the weekend, the Parliament for Iraq voting to expel U.S. forces from its borders. That's leading the president to threaten to sanction the country for U.S. wheat traders already looking for ways to boost export demand in 2020. Tensions with Iraq, the largest importers of U.S. wheat in the region, could spell some trouble. We've got minus signs an hour into the day for Chicago wheat. March contract down five and three quarters at 548 and three quarters. Kansas City March down three and a quarter trading at 471 and three quarters. Minneapolis Spring Wheat March down two and a half at 544 and three quarters. Fractional changes in corn, March contract at 386, down a half cent. In soybeans, the March contract is up to at 943 and a half. For livestock in the Merck, after the sharp Friday losses and lean hog futures, we are stabilizing on a Monday, February up 22 6877 live cattle february 95 cents higher at 125.62 april up 80 at 126.47 cash cattle trade last week some two to four dollars higher on a live and dressed basis in feeder cattle the march contract a dollar 45 higher at 144.12 on wall street the dow is down 115 points you're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, this could be a couple of big weeks for trade matters. Let's talk it over with Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Dave, thanks for joining us. Let's uh, turn our attention to USMCA. What do you expect to happen in the Senate this week? Well, this week is another uh, milestone on the uh, route of USMCA to final passage and ratification. The Senate Finance Committee uh, doing their required hearing uh, tomorrow. Uh, January 7th, and of course, once that uh, bill, uh, USMCA legislation, passes out of committee, then it has 15 session days 
to be voted on by the Senate. Of course, they could do that sooner. Um, of course, a lot of things depending uh, going on here in Washington when that vote will be scheduled. We don't know that, but uh, you know, within the next, uh, you know, could be happen this week or next, or at least by the end of the month, we think we'll have a, a final vote in the Senate on USMCA. And you think no problems with it passing in the full Senate? No, no, we've had, uh, you know, no, fingers crossed as always, of course, but uh, uh, strong expressions of support from both sides of the aisle, and uh, we expect it to go through with a, uh, a strong, uh, strong margin uh, like we saw in the House. We thought it wouldn't be voted on until after the impeachment uh, trial, but who knows when that might happen, so that, that kind of moves USMCA up, right? It could. It, yeah, that was certainly was what was said a few weeks ago, but then with the potential delay here in this trial, um, you know, Senator McConnell, the majority leader, said the Senate would proceed with normal business until they start that, and certainly we hope that USMCA is the top of the list of the business they want to get done soon. So, again, we could be, we could be looking at a vote in the Senate uh, almost any time. Okay, switching to China. January 15th, still the date to circle on the calendar? Well, that's what uh, all the announcements say. Uh, you're saying that the Chinese delegation will be coming over, uh, doing a signing here in D.C., probably at the course at the White House, uh, we expect, uh, on January 15th. And the effective date of the agreement uh, is supposed to be 30 days after signing. And, of course, we're hoping that at the uh, signing and the announcement of the final deal, uh, that we'll get uh, some more insight into exactly what's, uh, what's in the deal. Uh, so uh, we're all looking forward to that. I was going to ask you, are there any uh, details leaking out, any tidbits of what's in there? No, they've been very good, at least what I've seen about uh, keeping this uh, pretty much under wraps. Um, as somebody uh, observed, it's like uh, one of those Christmas presents you haven't quite uh, gotten able to uh, open it yet. It's some relative's house you haven't visited yet. So uh, uh, we'll be looking to see uh, the specifics. Of course, we're all interested in the uh, mostly the ag purchase numbers. Um, of course, what will be the tariff treatment? We know some of what was uh, announced uh, ahead of time there, that tariffs on the $120 billion of imports from China uh, we'll be uh, going down some, will be halved. Other tariffs will continue. Um, so we'll see if there's more on the tariff front, more details on the ag purchases front, uh, some other issues that are in there, and then how this will set up future talks. Remember, this is phase one. There's an awful lot of other issues in the U.S.-China relationship that are on the table that have yet to be finally addressed. And coming out of this deal, we'll see what the, uh, what the setup is for future discussions between the U.S. and China. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, what numbers are in there. Because the bar has kind of been set. You know, while anything is good news, but it, when you start throwing those numbers of $40, 50000000000 billion out there, all of a sudden you run the risk of it seemingly uh, being, uh, you know, under-delivering if it comes in much below that. So yeah. then you figure out, okay, how do you get to those numbers? So that that's what we'll be talking about and watching uh, in the weeks and months ahead. Yeah, we certainly will. And, uh, again, the specifics there, 40 to $50 billion, you know, at our highest, and we were counting our ag and food exports to China. We were in the, uh, you know, mid-20s and billions. Um, you know, we could get back up to that. What's the mix, you might say, of commodity products, maybe more, or some, uh, you know, consumer-ready food products to get us up to the higher level? We just don't know. 
Uh, and that's, of course, what everybody's going to be uh, vitally interested in, uh, given the uh, magnitude of these uh, potential sales to China over the next couple of years. Talking with Dave Salmonson with the American Farm Bureau Federation. All right, Dave, let's uh, switch to Europe. Is there anything happening in talks between the U.S. and the EU, or is it more specific U.S. and U.K. that could uh, see some action soon? Well, and you know, these are all linked together, aren't they? I haven't heard much in, on direct talks with the U.S. and the EU. Uh, on the U.S.-U.K., the United Kingdom, of course, scheduled to leave the European Union uh, this January 31st, the uh, Brexit. And then immediately uh, they have to begin talks with the EU on a trade deal. You know, what is their trade relationship going to be going forward? And that's, of course, where U.S. ag's interest is really intense. And the fact the deal they make with the EU, the deal that uh, Great Britain makes with the European Union on customs and standards and all those other things that go into a trade deal, will really pretty much determine how much room the U.K. has to do a trade deal with the United States on a whole range of issues, but of course including ag products. So we'll be watching that very closely, see what uh, comes out of that. The British at least uh, say they want to have this trade deal with the European Union done by the end of this year. Um, now, the way it's set up with the rules in the EU uh, and, and Britain, they really can't finalize a trade deal with the U.S. until they finalize the deal with the EU. It doesn't mean we can't be talking with them. And, in fact, there's been a U.S., United Kingdom, uh, you might say a working group that's uh, been at this for a while. But we could enter into more serious talks uh, throughout 2020, looking for a trade deal again after they conclude their one with the European Union. So an awful lot uh, going on in the uh, space between the United Kingdom, the European Union. Of course, the U.S. also, well, we have some tariffs on uh, EU imports. Uh, the EU is looking potentially to do some retaliation. So you're right, there's an awful lot of issues in the European space as we go through 2020. Gets complicated, that's for sure. Meanwhile, um, are we off and running now with the U.S.-Japan deal? Well, we are. That came into effect January 1st, and so the uh, the fact that we're going to have eliminated or lower tariffs on a whole range of products that basically will be in the same tariff reduction schedules as our competitors from uh, the other uh, TPP countries and the European Union, so we're with them, so... U.S. tariffs, uh, U.S. Uh, import tariffs into Japan on a range of products, beef and pork and other products, uh, will be lowering and will continue to lower over time. So uh, we're happy to have that. And again, that's one of those deals. Remember, that's just like China. It's a phase one deal, meaning, you know, there's future negotiations to happen on rules uh, for that'll affect ag trade, that'll affect a lot of other industries, of course, a whole bunch of other issues to add up to a real comprehensive free trade agreement with Japan. And those talks with Japan are scheduled to begin on May 1st on a phase two. So get a little time to see how these tariff reductions get this working and then go back into the negotiations with the Japanese. These things are all works in progress, aren't they? Yeah, they sure, they sure are. They sure are. You know, we've had a different, uh, little different approach here in the past lately where we're doing things in phases, again, with China and Japan. Uh, getting what we can on the most uh, critical, you might say, cutting issues that uh, have to be dealt with now, but then going forward with more comprehensive deals later. So, you know, we were always used to the fact that once the deal was done, it was completely done. Now the negotiations are a little more spread out. 
you know, they're they're not done until they're done, and that could take a while. But but you can work to where we are now, January of 2020, compared to January of 2019 on the trade front. It certainly looks a lot more positive. Oh, it does. I mean, so much has been done as we've gone through with USMCA, with China, with Japan. And remember, starting January 1st also, we have this uh, this uh, beef agreement with the European Union, uh, the hormone-free beef agreement. We have a uh, U.S.-South Korea rice agreement that went into effect January 1st. So a lot was accomplished uh, in 2019. And, of course, as we just went through, a lot, an awful lot more to work on in 2020. And as we know... You have to be careful. In these matters, you never know what the unexpected will be that could kind of set things back at any time. I mean, that's just part of it, too. That is part of it. As we say, everything, uh, you know, all these things we've been talking about that are going to happen, we hopefully in the next few weeks are all scheduled. We expect them to happen, but, uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll have to await events. And, uh, again, we of course, we all look forward to uh, getting USMCA passed and getting this China deal signed and then moving on from there. It will be interesting to see the reaction if they do indeed sign it, Phase 1 on China, January 15th. Uh, it won't take effect immediately, as we talked about, but it's a, it could be a psychological boost. I, I think market reaction is going to be very interesting. Is that already kind of uh, you know baked in, or is that going to give the markets a lift? That's going to be interesting to see. That will be interesting to see, and I, I again, we'll all watch the reaction once we get more details on the specifics uh, uh, especially on the purchases side from China. All right, Dave. Well, plenty more to talk about on trade this year, but uh, at least uh, it, it's, it seems more encouraging to talk about it uh, when you're talking about deals getting done than wondering if they'll ever get done. So we'll look forward yeah, to sure. more conversations. Thanks. It, it sure does. Thanks. All right. That's Dave Salmonson, Senior Director, Congressional Relations for the American Farm Bureau Federation with uh, trade update, a lot happening here, looks like, in these next couple of weeks. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk with the president of the um, American Veterinary Medical Association. There were some things in the spending bills that were passed at the end of last year that uh, the veterinary community is very happy about. And we'll take a look at some of the issues uh, addressing uh, getting more veterinarians into Areas of need around the Midwest, especially uh, throughout some parts of rural America, and look ahead to the ongoing battle to uh, make sure diseases like African swine fever stay out of the United States. All that coming up next. Stay with us on AOA. The sounds of success vary from person to person. Success sounds like this to a credenced soybean grower. Along with 43 new varieties this year, Credenz soybeans come with agronomic expertise from BASF. That means expert advisors who bring local insights on seed selection, management decisions, and crop protection options. Knowing the kind of success you're shooting for? That's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions. Some measure success by Italian suits, corner offices, and luxury yachts. Farmers measure success differently. It's breathing fresh country air taking care of the people you love and knowing how to measure success in your soybean acres that's smart with credenz soybeans you get a precise variety bred to fit your acres and that credenz variety comes with agronomic expertise and local insights from your basf team so plant your sign of success talk to your authorized credenz retailer or local basf seed advisor always read and follow label directions (laughs) 
information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, joining us now is the president of the American Veterinary Medical Association, Dr. John Howe. We want to look back at the spending bill that was passed at the end of last year and what that means for um, veterinarians across the country. Dr. Howe, thank you for joining us. Thank you. My pleasure. I know you were happy with that spending bill and some of the things in it. Uh, give us some uh, details how it affects veterinarians and, and animal care across the country. Sure. Well, we were certainly very happy to see Congress come together you know, in a bipartisan manner and pass that spending package. And besides preventing a government shutdown, uh, which ensures more than 3,000 federal veterinarians uh, who get to perform mission-critical tasks like food safety inspection, meat packing plants, which ensured now that they're going to be able to continue performing their jobs. So <clears throat> it, the agreement provides the certainty necessary that's needed for veterinary programs and agencies that support animal agriculture. They can continue to now plan and uh, do work to promote you know, public health and animal health. There were some things uh, specifically as far as some programs that will help increase access to veterinary care in rural America, wasn't there? Yes, there were. Uh, particular importance to veterinary medicine, we were happy to see Congress provide $8 million in funding for the Veterinary Medicine Loan Repayment Program and $3 million in funding for the Veterinary Services Grant Program. Both of those are very important to helping increase access to food animal veterinarians in rural areas. Which remains a real challenge in some parts, right? It does. It it really does. It's uh, some areas. It's very difficult, and it's uh, it's almost it's cost prohibitive. It's difficult for rural veterinarians and food animal veterinarians in some rural areas because there's not quite enough business to make it as just a food animal veterinarian. So you kind of have to do a little bit of everything. And but there's like in our practice, I'm in northern Minnesota, and I've been a mixed animal practitioner for 43 years. And we've had, you know, we have clients, beef clients that are, you know, 90 miles away. And we're the only ones that would be able to service them. So it's very difficult when they have emergencies, you know, to go zooming up in the middle of the night, 90 miles away in northern Minnesota. And uh, we only have like three dairies left, but they're far away also. So those those things are needed and it's, it's difficult. So if we can get somebody in, if it's a shortage area, then a veterinarian can get some partial money, some like 25000 a year to pay back on their student loans because, as you probably know, uh, student debt is, is really astronomical for veterinarians. Um, the average veterinarian uh, comes out of veterinary school with an average debt of close to 180000 and uh, it's just the last four years. If they finance the first four, they could be at two, $300,000 in debt. So a veterinarian coming out of school, carrying that debt, even if they want to be in rural America, they may, you know, the the lure of going somewhere uh, with a, you know, a better financial situation may be too too great for them to resist, and uh, then rural America loses out on another veterinarian. Yes, and that that's happening. So in this spending bill, we also saw a million dollar increase in funding for the U.S. Department 
of Agriculture and All Plant Health Inspection Service, you know, USDA APHIS, for the Center for Bio- Veterinary Biologics, and a $7.2 million increase in funding for the USDA APHIS diagnostic program. And those programs are both very important for continuing our critical supply of vaccines and supporting disease detection and prevention efforts. So these programs are also providing support for the National Bio and Agro Defense Facility, or NBAF, which is soon to be completed. And that's going to help strengthen our nation's ability to grapple with accidental or intentional introduction of high-consequence animal diseases, such as African swine fever. And let's talk about that. Uh, In your perspective, uh, tell us about the efforts to keep African swine fever out of the U.S., and uh, is there more that can be done? Uh, There is. I think there's always more. I think one good thing, uh, back in August, the U.S. and Canada and Mexico formed the foundation for a new North American-specific strategy on African swine fever. And as recent events have shown us, by all the spread of it in Southeast Asia and everywhere, um, it's demonstrated that ASF is an international disease that knows no borders, and it can move rapidly from one country to the next. So it requires a real co- coordinated international response to ensure that our co- that we have collective readiness for, for ASF. And the meeting had a special session and how, how, how they could minimize the impact should it be introduced to this continent and it'll help guide ASF-related coordination and cooperation between our three countries. And they covered um, several things. They covered, uh, talked about comprehensive disease surveillance and then surge capacity. That is always an important issue. So it's helping ensure that labs and people are ready to respond. For example, labs of Canada, Mexico, and the U.S., they could work together to harmonize their diagnostic efforts. And then you have to have contingency plans. And then you have to find out how to mitigate the risks associated with wild pigs uh, through activities such as control programs and surveillance, hunter education, farm biosecurity. I talked about border security, including inspection and control measures, and business continuity with risk-based movements of animal and animal products. And I was in China a couple of months ago, and I was at the African Swine Fever Conference there besides some other things I was at. And it was amazing to me. Spain brought up how they, it took them 20 years to get rid of this disease. But they talked about how they did it. And China has all this um, facts about how long the virus can last in different things. Frozen meat, it can last a 1,000 days. Wow. Dry-cured sausages, six months. Smoked, deboned meat, 30 days. 11 days in feces. 105 days in the offal. And ticks, so there's a, a tick that they have. So that's why we have to keep it out, but be prepared in case it ever does get here. Dr. Howe, thank you very much. You're welcome. Thank you. Dr. John Howe, President of the American Veterinary Medical Association. Weeds want to restrict your freedom and crush the spirit of your soybeans. Never fear. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of superior weed control is here with Liberty Herbicide. Stand proud with greater application flexibility, unmatched convenience, and excellent performance combined with the Liberty Link, Liberty Link GT27, and Enlist E3 trait systems. And it has no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Talk with your BASF rep or authorized retailer about Liberty Herbicide. Always read and follow label directions.
The sounds of success vary from person to person. Over to second in time on the first double play. Success sounds like this to a Credenz soybean grower. When you pick Credenz, you get a precise variety that fits your field. A variety built to work in your soil type and conditions with targeted traits for local pest and disease pressures. Earning the satisfaction of a successful soybean crop, that's smart. Talk to your authorized Credenz retailer or local BASF seed advisor. Always read and follow label directions.